Hey, Strange New Worlds listeners, it's Mike Wong. You may have noticed that my normal programming has come to a temporary pause as the world grapples with a major awakening in the form of the Black Lives Matter protests. Many high-profile figures and entities, including the Star Trek franchise, have come out in support of this movement. And so am I. I want to state in no uncertain terms that Black Lives do matter. Although the tragic death of George Floyd was the spark that lit this flame, a fire can only burn with this intensity of spirit and for such a duration as we have seen if there was a massive amount of kindling building up. That would be the deaths of Ahmad Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Sean Reed, Michael Dean, Yassine Mohammed. I could go on, recounting 400 years of systemic racism in the United States of America. Star Trek has a rich history of pushing the boundaries of diversity and inclusion. In the words of Star Trek's creator, Gene Roddenberry, quote, Star Trek was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate, but take a special delight in differences in ideas and differences in life forms. If we cannot learn to actually enjoy these small differences, to take a positive delight in those small differences between our own kind here on this planet, then we do not deserve to go out into space and meet the diversity that is almost certainly out there. End quote. Looking back on my childhood, I see how important it was for me to have role models of different skin colors. I loved Worf's stern demeanor. To me, that Klingon was the epitome of trustworthiness because his sense of honor and loyalty meant that his actions were utterly predictable. I also looked up to Harry Kim because it seemed like though he was getting bumped and bruised in every episode, nothing could ever quash his youthful determinism and optimism to achieve his goal of finding a way home. But I also recognize now the shadows cast by that Star Trek worldview. In the Federation, no one is treated differently because of their race. Racism is reserved for outsiders, like in the parable episode Let That Be Your Last Battlefield from the original series. And then, of course, there's Far Beyond the Stars from Deep Space Nine, a tale in which the crew plays out a 1950s drama drenched in prejudice, but it's all in Sisko's head. And it's a fantastic must-watch piece of sci-fi, by the way. But in the everyday life on the bridge of a Federation starship, the life that eight-year-old me wanted to lead when I grew up, no one was treated differently because of their race. And that's good. But it's also bad. Because I thought that everyone on Star Trek was colorblind. So little me strove to be colorblind too. 
It was only a few years ago that I learned about the difference between equality and equity. It's a subtle but profoundly important difference. Equality is when everyone is treated the same. Equity is when everyone is brought up to the same level. Now, there's a beautiful graphic that explains this. Let me see if I can draw a mental picture for you. You've got four people of different heights and abilities. In the equality scenario, they're all given the same sized bicycle. Now, the average sized woman rides just fine. But this super tall dude is hunched over his bike, his legs, which are far too long, crammed up to his torso. And there's a scrawny kid who is standing on his pedals, his legs not long enough to let his butt rest on his seat. And finally, a person in a wheelchair who's sitting next to her bike, unable to ride it at all. Next to this equality scenario is an equity scenario. Here, each person is given the bike they need to succeed. The average-sized woman still has the average-sized bike. But the tall dude has a tall bike that fits him, and the, the kid has a small bike with training wheels. And the disabled person has one of those recumbent bikes that you can ride in a lying-down position. So equity means seeing people's differences and raising them up accordingly. Equity is at the heart of the Black Lives Matter movement. Equity is the recognition of the fact that centuries of injustice and discrimination have made it such that Black people, as a whole, are significantly disadvantaged in American society. One huge disadvantage that Black people face are the implicit biases that society has towards them. For instance, the bias in which Black people are perceived as naturally better than others at manual labor, but worse at intellectual labor. Or, even more tragically, the bias that led a police officer to think that it was okay to keep his knee on George Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, and the bias that kept all of the other officers in that scene from intervening, despite Floyd's cries for help. Thus, the retort, all lives matter, in response to Black Lives Matter, diminishes the history of racism in America that continues to this very day. It is giving the same bike to those four different people and thinking that they'll all ride it just fine, when in reality, we have to recognize and understand their different struggles and craft a new or greatly reformed system that allows them each to succeed. I fear that my childhood self would have thought that all lives matter sounds like a rational thing to say, because Captain Janeway treated Chakotay with the same dignity she did Tuvok, Bellana Torres, or Tom Paris. The thing is, that's not the world we live in. Janeway isn't our president. Odo isn't your local sheriff. And Tasha Yar doesn't run the National Guard. We live in a 21st century society, a fragile 
and imperfect world where we have to emphasize that Black Lives Matter too. Adult me recognizes that, but it takes work. Work not just to see it, but to be it. And I still hope for the day that a diverse crew can operate a starship together without as much as a whisper of implicit bias. But we have a long way to go. So how do we get there? I think it's important to invite complexity into our discussions. Firstly, acknowledge that this moment exists across many scales, from personal to societal. For instance, some of you might know a police officer in person. That person might be a courageous, decent, loving human being. And your respect and compassion for that one person does not need to cease in order for you to recognize that the policing system in the United States is damaging to and prejudiced against the black community. Similarly, you might be feeling disheartened in the face of this giant systemic problem and asking yourself, what can I, a single ordinary citizen, do? Well, if you live in America, vote. Whatever fire you feel now, don't let it die out once the protests end. Use it to fuel your passion to reform this broken system by helping to elect people to power who will make substantial changes. But no matter where you live or what your citizenship status is, you can enact real positive change on the local level, in your home, in your school or your workplace, and in your community. A mountain can be moved one stone at a time. Now, I believe that everyone, whether you're left-leaning, right-leaning, or somewhere in the middle, everyone is susceptible to spouting slogans, trafficking buzzwords, and retweeting hashtags without really thinking deeply about what they mean. We're all equally capable of shouting into our own echo chambers. And I'm 100% sure I'm at fault for doing this too. But I also believe that the key to real change is education. So I think that we need to each take the time to learn. As a scientist, I take a scientific mindset to this personal work. I've watched as I myself have been educated on cutting-edge knowledge in astrobiology over the past several years, and my views on scientific theories for, say, the origin of life have changed dramatically in that time. My whole job as a scientist is predicated on learning and growing and bettering myself. So why not take that same attitude towards the subject of racial injustice? I believe we can all start by listening to more Black voices and reading more Black-authored works, and just trying to understand the worlds that marginalized people live in every day. To this end, I've read three academic papers recently. One is a commentary by Kuheli Dut. I apologize, of course, if I'm mispronouncing any of these names. This one was published in the highly regarded scientific journal Nature on racism in the geosciences. 
It's a short read and a very good intro to the subject, and explains why a colorblind attitude is a subtle but powerful form of racism that takes a toll on the retention of people of color in geosciences. Only 3.8% of faculty in the top 100 geoscience departments are people of color. The second paper is by Clancy and colleagues. It's a study of discrimination in astronomy and planetary science, my home disciplines. In a survey of nearly 500 astronomers and planetary scientists, women of color were far more likely to report verbal harassment, and 40% of women of color reported feeling unsafe, unsafe in their work environment because of their gender or race. Now, among many things, this means that women of color skip a greater number of work-related events, which stifles career advancement. The last paper is by Chanda Prescott-Weinstein about a concept she calls white empiricism and the harm that it does to black women working in physics. For me, this one emphasized how racism not just infiltrates academia, but also limits the way in which knowledge itself is generated. For example, because people of color are seen as less objective when it comes to racism, their objectivity in science is questioned by association. And because science is a historically white male-dominated discipline, Women of color are introduced to the field seeing themselves as outsiders rather than as key figures, and mentors see training women as scientists as untraining them as women. Now these are all excellent and eye-opening, mind-blowing pieces, but you don't have to take my word for it. I've put links to all of them in the show notes. I've also bought two books by African-American authors, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates, and Black is the Body by Emily Bernard. I haven't read either of them yet, so I can't offer you reviews, but they came to me highly recommended. Now, this reading is just my starting point on what's surely going to be a much longer and harder journey. And I encourage you to ask yourself, where are you beginning? And it's totally fine if you're starting from a completely different spot and taking a totally different path. You know, I bet many of you are even way, way, way ahead of me. But there are so many lanes on this highway to justice. And as we march towards progress collectively, let's just make sure to be encouraging of one another, welcoming, inclusive, and respectful as we all take on this hard, introspective work. I think this moment in history will be remembered for decades and written about for generations. With any luck, we are one small step closer to that Star Trek future. Star Trek shows us what we can be. Just remember that we're not there yet and that we have to work for it. We have to put in that effort, here, now, on this planet Earth. 
racial justice and social equity are our prime directives. So that one day, Uhura, Cisco, and Burnham can have theirs. Infinite diversity in infinite combinations. Thanks for listening. Please keep taking care of one another, and I'll see you out there.